to the first episode of the Laird Connectivity Corner podcast. Uh, with me today, I have Ricky uh, in the room with me over in Kansas City, living it up for her Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. I have Jennifer. And coming to us from, uh, from the UK, we have Mahendra. Today, we're going to be talking about Bluetooth um, 5.1 spec. Uh, what's involved in it, uh, what it does, how it works, and what how it applies to you. Um, so I'm going to start with my first question as we get through here. Um, what are the major features in Bluetooth 5.1? So the there were four five five four major ones that were added: um, direction finding, angle of arrival, and angle of departure. And that's going to enable real-time location services and, and indoor, indoor positioning services. Uh, then the, the next new feature is the GAT caching enhancements. And then we have randomized advertising channel indexing and periodic advertising sync transfer. Yes. So the big one in there, um, well, I think they're all, they all enable some pretty good um, uh, functionality within the radio, but um, I think the direction finding, everybody seems to be very excited about the direction finding um, feature um, of the radios. Um, and then um, I'm kind of excited by the uh, periodic advertising sync transfer capabilities. And um, I think that enables quite a bit maybe um, for some other features of radio, so. Um, I hear the terms AOA and AOD. Who can explain those to me? Okay, can I chip in here? Please. Um, okay, I've all, I've, first of all, I've always found it confusing. Why is it arri- angle of arrival and then angle of departure? So how, what's, what's the difference there? So then and, then, and then it struck me that when you have angle of arrival, it means the uh, incoming wave is picked up by multiple antennas, and angle of departure means sent by multiple uh, antennas. So, in this uh, in this angle of arrival, angle of departure um, feature, there's always one side that is one antenna, and the other side multiple antennas. And I always found it confusing, saying which one is which. I now remember it. Arrival means. Um, the, the the device with four antennas is doing it. I guess uh, a good question is um, both ends of your connection um, require are required to support uh, the 5.1 or the um, the direction finding features, correct? Because they have to be able to put the um, what is that the CTE um, constant tone. Um, into the the data packet or the constant tone extension into the data packet on both and so and then the other side has to be able to receive that correct that is correct yes that's what i that's how i so yes and that's correct and think of that continuous tone extension as a as a pure pure b a pure tone that is appended to the packet that is sending out the data I kind of pictured it as a because it's a this was just as a pure sine wave type. No, it's not, not, okay. not like it is actually literally a pure sine wave. Okay. Um, 
and and then what happens is what well, the way I understand it, and a good analogy for that is is as if you say something and then you whistle, which is a continuous tone, and let others then um, use that you know uh, pure tone to determine that uh, where it's coming from, because they will then they could theoretically close one ear and sort of use one ear to see where it's coming from and then the other one. So that's how it's actually done in the um, in, in the spec. Okay. Interesting. So you did say something in there that, that kind of struck me that I didn't even think of, but um, if I'm somebody designing, um, you know, a, a device with Bluetooth 5.1 and I want to use AOA, AOD, I have to have how many antennas? Oh, on that one, I think uh, anything from two to 74. Really? <laughs> yep. 74 antennas. 74. Can you imagine having no. 74 antennas on a device? No. How, how, think, how big is that thing going to be? <laughs> well, in my research, I did see like some examples of ones that were designed and they were using chip antennas. So it yeah. was actually quite small. I was Because I, I was picturing like dipole antennas. Yeah. So when you go with the chip antennas, it looked like a spider routing all the traces oh, out bet. to the antennas, but it, it was pretty cool looking. So wow. it doesn't have to be as big as you're picturing. No, exactly, because uh, it has to. It's all governed by the wavelength at uh, two point four, so it's about uh, twelve point five, twelve centimeters, uh, which is uh, four inches for you guys. Um, and what happens is it has to be in that in that geometry. Or if you want it to go bigger, then what happens is it will be a modulus of that. So you could probably have it uh, if it's four inches and eight inches, but you don't uh, you don't gain any. The only thing the only reason you do it because of a physical spacing point of view. But um, from a calculation point of view, your uh, ability to measure the phase is only up to twelve centimeters. Wow! Because of the way. Okay. Now, do all those antennas have to, can they be, um, do they have to be in different, you know, orientations to each other or can they be like all in a line? Well, it can be in any geometry you want as long as the other end knows about that geometry to, make, to do that calculation. Oh, interesting. Huh. interesting. I will say one misconception that I had originally with um, AOA and AOD was I had originally assumed that um, AOA and AOD were going to magically enable real-time location services indoors. Um, and I think some customers may have that misconception as well. And um, what I'm finding out is AOA and AOD is kind of a stepping stone towards um, enabling RTLS um, because it allows you so before with rssi we could kind of get a rough idea of distance and with if you use triangulation you can get an even better idea of distance and now this aoa aod kind of adds that ability to tell which direction it's in so i kind of think of that as for like things like geocaching or finding something somewhere um you know if you lost your keys and maybe go find them but uh, it has to be, the AOA and AOD needs to be paired with other, um, I guess, other solutions 
to fully enable like RTLS. In, uh, right? That's correct uh, in a sense, but but you could theoretically in a room have three um, um, uh, uh, switch array antenna devices, and those three, when when someone has a phone and walking through, those three will they they those three the system knows where exactly where they are in the room, and the if you're standing in a room with a phone, you will have a different angle from the uh, reported from those three, and because you know that the location of those three devices, uh, a central device can do the math to determine exactly where in the room you are standing because wow. each device is a different line. So it's a triangulation uh, concept. And that's where, the, <clears throat> is that where the 3D um, positioning kind of comes in? Because with that, if I knew where those three are located at, I could probably tell if the person was on the ground or floating in the floating in the air. That's correct, yes. Yeah. But in practice, you would need a bit more uh, devices to get a better act a better location simply because um, there's you don't get a perfect uh, reading because as people walk by you get reflections so there will be jitter on the angle that is being detected or uh, uh, so therefore uh, you need multiple uh, angles multiple devices more than three to be able to then fine-tune your location Okay. Would you still combine that with the RSSI to to narrow it down to even more accuracy? Then um, you could no, no, you could, but I think then um, this is a speculation. That in that case, you would have to put it in some 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 AI to make it work better. I think they call. I think Brian Pettit uh, mentioned it's something something to do with a Kalman filter. So it's Kalman filtering to then put multiple inputs in of different types. Then, uh, then it learns and then it determines that, okay, uh, I think it's in this region. I don't understand that math, by the way. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, I think there's a lot of math that goes into 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 this and, and into using it. So um, I think there are some algorithms out there for, you know, um, positioning and yeah. direction finding, but um, I... I know the Bluetooth SIG hasn't released anything official yet, um, and I think we're kind of waiting for an official kind of specification for for it. Yeah, and on, on that, on an, an, an anecdote, I remember seeing um, this kind of location at a Bluetooth conference in 2010, and at that time, I think I was in Hungary at the time, and and they said oh look we can do it and it was nokia um, showing it and they said oh we need a powerful pc to give you the uh, the location mm -hmm. so that that was in my fixed in my head saying you need some powerful computing but then and last year i was at a uh, a seminar done by a chipset manufacturer who do have that feature and out in the foyer they had their dev kit showing you uh, the direction of the other device on an LCD display. And all of that was implemented on their Cortex M4 chipset. So um, I think we need to also be, bear in mind that there's a lot of math, but we are now getting into the situation whereby the microcontrollers that are used in um, you know, Bluetooth chipsets 
are powerful enough to come up with uh, the, the location as well. Good. That means there, there could be a lot of solutions that customers could find with our, just with our modules as is. Wherever, whenever we have the new module with, with uh, angle of arrival stuff, it can be done on board because those contain an M4 with a floating point co-processor. Uh, so, hey, there is a lot of math involved, trigonometry and all that stuff. You need floating point for that, and we provide that in, in the chip set. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, nice. Is there going to be something better? I mean, is the Bluetooth SIG or somebody else working on a way to improve it so you don't have to have all those multiple antennas and multiple devices in the same room? So, you know, are we talking about angle of arrival? or Yes, we well, just location in general, RTLS. I mean, the, the, there's this big panacea that if you solve location, you solve a lot of a lot of problems for people. Oh uh, yeah, so, so there is something that could uh, could happen in the future, and I hope the Bluetooth stage uh, get to work on it, and that is um, using time of flight to measure distance. So now think about it: time of flight plus the angle, you have it because. Um, then you don't need to do any trigonometry uh, trig functions. That uh, the distance will be measured by the time of flight reported by the chip, and the angle of arrival will say in which direction. So you know exactly where uh, where the other device is. And I hope they do something that. Um, the, my my wish is the next version of the Bluetooth spec uh, defines that in hardware so that uh, this time of flight measurement can be done just that they, just as they had the, they changed the hardware for angle of arrival and hardware, angle of departure and that will be exciting really exciting but i reckon the way bluetooth goes there'll be another two years before it happens <laughs> although although actually can i i do know of a chipset manufacturer who are sort of playing with that uh, feature um, so, so in a sense, they could probably release it and not say it is a, it is a Bluetooth um, spec client, but just say it's a sensor. Just as you could put a temperature sensor or an analog to digital converter in your chipset, what preventing a chip manufacturer to come up with a way of uh, measuring time of flight and just make it a, as a sensor peripheral? Hmm. And then you don't have to wait for the Bluetooth stick to define it all. Yeah, right. Do you foresee that this, I mean, I guess I've read things here and there about, um, you know, the positioning and um, I guess, if, you know, if they in the future added time of flight that they could get down to uh, accuracies of within centimeters of location. Um, does that okay. seem realistic? <laughs> That's doable because there's already existing technology, which is called ultra wide band. Mm -hmm. And there are chipset manufacturers uh, currently available to do that, and they, they provide uh, them as transceivers. And I, I remember doing some, um, some tests about two, three years ago, where I had this, uh, I had some dev kit, and I was, and it was, it was two devices with an LED display, and it all it did was say, um, uh, it would send out a ping, wait for it to come back, and then display, and then. Um, uh, print out what it thought was the distance, which is basically uh, speed of light times that uh, time of flight. Mm -hmm. I was really amazed that I was about 200 meters away and it was saying it was approximately 200 meters. But here's something. I, at that point, I moved the other device 
just by about three inches. And my display share, uh, told me that, oh, you it moved by three inches. Oh. And I was really impressed with that. Wow. Interesting. So what, we are, what, what that test showed me, that the resolution was there. This sounds all great, and it's really cool to be able to. But what does this mean to, you know, Joe Engineer or somebody making a, a, a medical device or some other device? What, what does this granularity of distance mean for them? Oh, okay. I mean, one one use case would be you could then locate locate uh, in a hospital patients to to down to a bed if you wanted, um, or or anywhere else. And if they have wandered off, you could uh, you, you could determine that. Um, or yeah, portable equipment. X-ray machines tend to be left in corridors. You know, if you if you want a portable X-ray machine, where is it? Don't don't go looking for it. it it'll just because of uh, of this uh, asset tracking capability, you'll know exactly where it is. Um, so then, Jennifer, you had mentioned earlier there was another, and I didn't write it down, there was another uh, feature that you were really excited about. What, what is that uh, one? Yeah, um, there, the other features, actually all of them kind of do a lot to um, um, improve kind of our power consumption um, and operational um capabilities. Um, I was looking kind of at the periodic advertising sync transfer and had a question for Mahindra on that as to whether, so periodic advertising sync transfer allows a device who's advertising to basically tell other devices, hey, um, I'm going to advertise on this other channel and it and tells it you know when it goes to that other channel it tells it when and how often it's going to be advertising data so then because the scanning is a very high power operation so scanning for advertisements so it basically allows the scanner to only turn on its scanning process when there's an advertisement um, which helps with power consumption and i didn't know if that could possibly be used with mesh routing in order to improve the power consumption in a mesh network. Oh, that's an interesting idea. It is. Uh, I thought of that, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about the periodic um, advertisement train is that you know exactly when it's going to happen. So when, when you, in the dead space, you can literally go to sleep. That's what you're alluding to, because mesh is very power um, power hungry and that's simply because by mesh device to work it, it has to have its receiver on 100% of the time and usually in the chipsets that I, we have been uh, working with uh, they take about 3 milliamps when the radio is just listening so a battery is not going to last very long so if you can somehow use a periodic train yeah but the, I think the feature was brought in, though, for things like uh, head, head, headphones, the in-ear headphones. So, yeah. yeah, I see a lot of examples using smartwatches and things like that. That's right. And, and I mean, in fact, it plays on plays onto the, the latest version, which is 5.2, which has got audio in it. Um, so, okay, so here, here's, to, to, to sort of um, explain why, why this uh, periodic 
advertising, think, transfer capability is so good. Let's say you have a phone and you've got an ear set in your, in your butt. That butt, uh, earbud does not have any display. It doesn't have any UI. It doesn't even have a button probably. But the use case is that you are at a, um, uh, at a service station, no, no, at an airport, and you're looking at a TV, but you can't hear what the presenter is saying. But you want to listen, okay? And this uh, Bluetooth will allow that to happen now with version 5.2. And I know, I know we're talking about 5.1, but 5.2 gives you audio. So if you think about it, how do you then make it so that the ear the earpod will start listening to that TV? Well, here's how it will do it. Because you have a phone, you will use your phone to figure out, okay, is that TV? And it will then, the phone will sync to the periodic train of that, uh, of that, of that TV. In the meantime, the phone has a connection to the earpod and then what it'll do, it'll, it'll send a message to the airport saying, you are now going to start listening to a TV, and here are the details, and the detail says um, that the next, uh, the details basically say uh, that up the, from, from, from our connection interval train, you have your timing reference, so you know exactly when things are gonna happen, and X milliseconds after the next connection interval, at this channel, you will be able to pick it up, and then from then on, hop, and then always pick, uh, be able to pick up that order. So what we have done, effectively, is transfer the sync information, how is random, how the periodic train is randomly sending data on different channels. That information has been transferred over a connection from your phone to your ear, and you can then listen. I think there's a lot of, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how that all gets used. And What about the, some of the other uh, features that we added? I think you were listed two or three more. Are, are any details or anything of what we can talk about on those? I found the GAT table enhancements were interesting, how that's going to reduce power consumption because it eliminates that need to use the service discovery every time in a connection um, by using a, a hash that is provided by the server to the client and then stored. Mm. And then they just compare that to see if they need to do discovery services and read the GAT table again. I found that very interesting. Yes, that'll save us a lot of power because it's, uh, you know, Ricky, you and I have uh, talked it to death how a client connects, you know, reads the GAT table and then goes, goes to town. And so being able to skip that whole GAT table reading um, operation will will significantly save a lot of power and allow it to, um, I thought an interesting, I guess, example of its use, it used in um, like locks. Um, so not only can you cache a GAT table from a specific server or peripheral device, you can uh, cache the GAT table for a, a type of server or peripheral device. So if you see another device that has the same, um, the same hash, you know, a uh, GAT table hash, and is also from the same manufacturer possibly, then you don't have to read its table either. So you could be like in a building where that had a whole bunch of smart locks 
like it said, and you'd walk up to the first door and you may perceive a delay while it's reading the table there, but then all the subsequent locks that it sees, it's cached that table so it can just go in and open those locks immediately without having to wait. So it's not just devices it's been bonded to before or seen before, but devices of like type as well. That's interesting, Jennifer. I hadn't thought of that, but it's a really great insight that. Yes, I can see how that would work. Interesting. And then the next feature, um, or the last feature that we hadn't talked about is the um, is also uh, more for, um, I guess, capability in um, environments where there may be a lot of uh, noise and a lot of other BLE devices, um, which is the randomized advertising channel, channel indexing. Um, and basically what that does is previously when we advertised, we'd always, you advertise each event, you have an advertising event, and that event consists of three advertisements on three of the uh, advertise the three advertising channels, and it was always done in order. You'd advertise on channel 37, then 38, then 39, and in the next event, you'd do it again: 37, 38, 39, and you'd always do it in that order. And they have now updated it so that you can advertise on those three channels in any order during the event. So you still have three adver advertisements in an event, but those advertisements could be on channel 39, 38, 37, and then the next event could be 38, 37, 39, and it just kind of randomizes when you what channel you're advertising on. So if two devices wake up at the same time, they're not both trying to advertise on the same channel. Yeah, because uh, if, you, if you don't do that, yeah, I think that's a great, great insight. If you don't do that, then if you go one, two, three, and one, two, three, then if, if the both devices wake up at the same time, then if they're doing one, two, three as well, then they're forever sort of, in a sense, trampling on each other. But if you do randomly, then uh, things will get through. That's an interesting, neat solution to that problem. Um, so then one thing, and we've, I think with Bluetooth 5.0, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with 5.0, they started to where they had optional, um, where you could say that, hey, I'm Bluetooth certified in 5, but I don't support this feature or that feature. Um, are all the features we talked about today, is that a similar, or are all these required features to say that I'm Bluetooth 5.1? Okay, the way I understand it, they are optional. So, for example, our BL654 module uh, is going to be very soon uh, certified for 5.1, but it doesn't make up, it does not have the hardware for angle of arrival or angle of departure, but it's still allowed to do it. So, by that, the inference is the angle of arrival stuff and departure stuff is optional. Okay. So does, um, speaking of that, Mahinder, will the BL654 certified with 5.1 support any of the other, other than, because AOA and AOD, I think, required some, I don't know if it required, required additional hardware, but these other features like the, the you know, randomized advertising, GAT caching, and um, periodic advertising sync transfer, are we able to support any of those, or? Uh, no, we don't. Now, hold on. That's a great, great question. Periodic 
sync uh, periodic advertising sync transfer must must be optional because we are definitely going for a 5.1 certification so but we know that we cannot do periodic uh, adverts because we haven't got the stack from node if you able to be able to do that so again by inference that uh, uh, periodic advert stuff will also be optional um and then i guess the last question for you guys put on your uh put on your glasses look into the future um what do you see or what do you know of i guess or what do you see um coming in the future of bluetooth well, they've already Ooh, okay. announced they're going to include audio with 5.2, which is extremely exciting. A lot of people are looking forward to it. Um, and so we're looking forward to supporting it on our modules. Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. So um, so here's something with the audio, what what you can do. Have you noticed sometimes children are listening to a song uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a headphone with the wires on it? So they've got both both uh, pods in the ear, and then then a friend will say, what are you listening to? And then they will share the one ear pod. So now one, both people are listening to the same song, but on, on, from only from one ear pod. Mm -hmm. That use case is going to be blown, blown apart and, and, and enhanced, because now, same use case, if, you, if, you're, if your uh, phone is equipped with one audio, and, and there are five, dot one audio capable of headset then your friend can say oh, what are you listening to so your, uh, you will say okay you go to your app and say okay dial in your phone on this app this number you dial that number and boom you can now listen to the song that i'm listening to but just not to that person the next one comes along and you can share to anyone it could be 100 people as long as they're within range of that bluetooth transmission Oh, nice. And that's really great. Multi-stream, multi which will be interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, it also gets rid of the, um, it allows us to do true stereo audio as well, too, because previously with Bluetooth stereo audio, we sent all the audio to one channel, and then that channel would send the audio over to the other channel. So there was that there was a little bit of a delay there because it would go in that order. And I think now it will multi-stream directly to those two channels. And it's, it's not do by the way. The, the spec allows just, just by the way, just in angle of arrival, I, say, I, I said you can have up to 74 antennas, but you, you'll see in practice just three or four. In, in the Bluetooth audio, you can, you can have a, uh, the, the, the sharing done up to 32 devices from a sync point of view. So if you don't, stereo is, two speakers right yeah. okay now i think there are systems with four or five speakers as well which are wired i think or five dot audio devices right yeah the, you could do that as well because the the audio is split into sub channels and there are 32 sub channels and then you would allocate each one for different different speakers oh wow hey wow. i hadn't thought of that very very interesting and hopefully will greatly reduce the, the you know the delays that I think currently a lot of audiophiles tend to shy away from Bluetooth audio just because of the delays in some of that um, performance. Mm -hmm. That's right. And currently, the, with classic Bluetooth, it's sent over 
uh, I think A2DP type uh, profiles. Yeah. There are there are uh, latencies that come in. Now in this case, uh, the data is sent over the synchronous channel, the equivalent of the score channel. Remember, in classic, we've got a score channel where they send out the audio, which uh -huh. can be up to 64 kilobit per second. They, also, they don't call it a score; they call it the isochronous channel, and you negotiate. Or the bandwidth and uh, quality that you want. Hmm. How nice! They use a they, they use a codec called L3C or something, L3 or L3C. I can't remember, but that that codec, which is a modern codec compared to what you had in in the mid 90s, because classic Bluetooth audio, the technology is frozen uh, as as it was in 1990s, 1995 or 1996. So now, 25 years later. With the processing power and the chips that we have, the codec that is currently available is will give you so much facility. Nice. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see where it heads and what what everybody's able to do with it. And I hope we we you know are able to get involved in that that audio part of it. It'll be fun. Well, thanks thanks for the uh, the three of you guys to uh, to join us. Um, on our on our inaugural podcast um, anybody any listeners out there if you have any questions comments uh, anything like that uh, send us an email at podcast at layeredconnect.com uh, I'm going to do a shameless uh, plug for Ricky um, she has her video by the time this, this uh, is posted she'll have her video up on our YouTube channel um, so if you go to the layered connectivity a YouTube channel, you'll be able to see her talk about the differences between Bluetooth and BLE. Uh, it's a really good video, I recommend it. Um, thanks everyone for listening, and we will uh, be back soon with another 